Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Go ahead and be seated. Boy, we're excited to be in God's house tonight together. Amen? Amen. Listen, it is good to be back home. Let me introduce myself. My name is Chad. I get to serve as the pastor here at King of Kings. And for all of our members who know, I was gone for two months uh, and that's pretty typical for us each year. Uh, as the King of Kings family continues to grow, um, it's important that we connect with them relationally. We continue to sow into lives and mentor and plant new congregations and train leaders. And so each year, it's very important that I spend time and other members of our executive team spend time with other congregations um, that are part of our family. And so I've been doing that for the last few months, as well as uh, fulfilling some speaking engagements and, and connecting with our partners. So thank you for your patience in that. But it is good to be back home, to get a chance to see everybody here today. I want to honor a few people before we get started. Now, uh, as our community is sizable, it's not like I can say happy birthday to every single person, but today it's a very special person, Ann Hilsden. Happy birthday to Ann Hilsden. She's here somewhere worshiping, has been here and uh, we say happy birthday to her. We also have some special guests in the house tonight, some of our dear friends, ministry partners. They've been on our team for many years. They're leading a group right now uh, from all over the United States. But Daniel and Carol Ketchum, thank you guys for being here. We wave to you, bless you. We love having you. And then, of course, all of our King of Kings members, welcome home. Everybody watching online, we welcome you through Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, and other platforms around the world just to honor some folks. We also have a group from the Netherlands in the house tonight. So if you're from Holland, welcome family. My last name is Holland, so that counts. I got a chance to visit our country for the first time this April. We did pretty well. Good job. But also welcome from Australia tonight, Austria, Brazil, Canada, Cuba, Finland, Greece, other parts of Israel, Japan is watching tonight, Kenya, the Netherlands, Nigeria, Norway, the Philippines, Poland, Singapore, Slovakia, South Africa, Switzerland, UK, parts of the United States, and many more. If you didn't tell us where you're watching from, make sure you tell our folks and our hosts online where you're watching from. That would be great. Amen? It is good to be in the house tonight. Listen, my wife is a chef. Apparently some of you have eaten her food. And I don't mind going out to dinner. When we go out to dinner, you have to understand something. It is so that she can have a break. It has nothing to do with the food. Because we will always have better food at home because of her than we will at the restaurant. But you know, I feel that same way when I travel, friends. I love going to our partners and our friends and worshiping with them, and there are some great teams of worship, but I can't wait to get back home to worship with our King of Kings family because there's no meal like that home-cooked meal, amen? I love being home, so great job, worship team. Thank you all of the servants today. We're going to begin a new series tonight called Perfection. So grab your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. That's going to be one of the main texts tonight, Ezekiel 28. And while you're turning there, since I mentioned the trip, I want to also say thank you to Pastor Mike Mott. A whole time I was gone, he held the fort down. He did a great job. Let's give him a hand and say thank you, Pastor Mike. 
We didn't skip a beat. I was texting with somebody the other day and they said, oh, I didn't even know you were gone. So that means one of two things. Either I'm doing a very poor job or Mike is doing an amazing job. And I I think it's the latter, hopefully. Not so much the former, I don't know. But Mike, we couldn't do it without you, my friend. We couldn't be this family without you. And Melissa, thank you so much. We're gonna be in a new series called Perfection. And we're gonna start leaning into the feasts and festivals of the Lord for this fall. Now you know this Friday night, it's Erev Yom Teruah. It's the Feast of Trumpets starts Friday night. And we're going to start, you even saw it in the parasha reading that Pastor Derek did, part of those portions had to do with the trumpets. So we're going to start looking in that direction. Tonight, we're going to talk about God's perfect plan. But next Sunday, we're going to actually blow the trumpets because it's the second day of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, Feast of Trumpets. Pastor Derek's going to be on stage with me. We're going to say the blessings and and blow the trumpets here next Sunday as our Feast of Trumpets service. But we're already going to lean in that direction because next week we're also talking about God's perfect timing. And then for Yom Kippur, God's perfect sacrifice. And for Sukkot, God's perfect judgment and justice. And then for Simchat Torah, God's perfect word. So that's where we're gonna begin tonight. So I pose this opening question to us. What kind of a God do we serve? He's obviously a kind and a generous God to any of those of us that already know him and walk in his family. He's patient and he's merciful. But these are actions that he does and things that he displays. They're not necessarily all about who he is. He's much more than just his actions. These actions certainly come out of the essence of his being, but the more truth we learn about God, the more we are drawn, or at least should be drawn, to him. Many times we can see and understand what God does by his loving actions, but how much do we actually know about him? Where do all of these actions and decisions come from? Well, I want to look at Moses for just a moment before we dive into Ezekiel because Moses is a man who saw God face to face. He spoke to God. He heard the voice of God. He saw God's miracles. He walked in God's destiny. This is what Moses said of God, and they were very close. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 3 and 4. Deuteronomy 32, 3 and 4. I will proclaim the name of the Lord, he says. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. He is upright and just. You see, Moses puts forth this idea that God is perfect. Not just that he does perfect things or he does no wrong or that his actions are always good. It's not just the actions and the outcome. It is that he himself, the essence of his own being is a perfect being. Now we know that God is also other things. God is love. 
That's, a, that's a one we love to talk about. And 1 John 4, 8 certainly reiterates this. Whoever does not, know, does not love does not know God because God is love. So there you, you bring into the fold the idea that what is God? Well, God is love. What is God? God is perfect, right? Not, not just because of his actions, but because of who he is. So love can be something you are. Perfection can be something you are. And with these two things in mind, we want to zone in on the idea of God being perfect for the next couple of weeks. This is the catalyst for the series. In one of Yeshua's most famous sermons, of course, we know it as the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't know that sermon, maybe you're new to the faith, it's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. And in verse 48, God, Yeshua, describing himself God the Father, he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So when Yeshua had to give a, a definition of who is God, what is he like, Yeshua chose God is perfect. Because that really encompasses all other things that are going to come after that, right? The source itself. And God is not perfect only because all that he has made is perfect. Certainly all he has made is perfect. But it's the other way around. Let me give you the first key phrase of the night. Everything God makes, does, says, decides, creates, and predicts are perfect because he is perfect first, not the other way around. You see, in today's world, we can be success-driven. We can be outcome-oriented, and that has a place for sure. In the sports world, we could play basketball together, and after, it was funny, I was about to say, after I make 100 shots in a row, maybe I shouldn't use me in that story. That doesn't come across. Some of you that have played basketball with me are like, come on, Pastor Chad, we've, we've seen you play, bro. If someone were to stand there and make 100 shots in a row, you'd be like, that guy is a great basketball player. And sometimes we try to do that to God. If God does all of the things that I wanted him to do or that I expected him to do or that I predicted he should do in the way I thought he should do it, then I serve a great God and I love him and he's great and he's awesome. He made, a, he made 100 shots in a row in my life, so therefore, he's a great God. And the problem is that that argument is, is backwards because that argument actually puts us at the center of the universe. And we are, are, of course, not the center of the universe. And that's why we put that key phrase in there that everything God makes, does, says, decides, creates, and predicts are perfect because he is perfect first. Therefore, anything that comes out of his being is automatically perfected. It is true that everything God made is perfect. When we look to Ezekiel, now that you've already turned there, you can see some of these words. So turn to Ezekiel 28, verse 11. 
And as you're turning, I'll remind you of what Samuel said and what David said in, in their second book, 2 Samuel. As for God, his ways are perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. My friends, what, what I hope tonight is by the end of this lesson, you'll at least take one nugget home with you, and that is, are you viewing God the way God should be viewed? As a perfect being that everything he says and does is already perfect because of who he is, not because it pleases us. If you can take that one lesson home, it'll change your life. It'll change the way you think about God. Ezekiel had this to say, and you're already there in chapter 28, verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Cornelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till the wickedness was found in you. That's an interesting verse because we're talking about, as we're looking at the Feast of Trumpets, this is a time traditionally where the rabbis link the Feast of Trumpets with the creation itself. And so we're looking at God's perfection and his perfected creation. Everything he makes is perfect. And Ezekiel reiterates that. Now, some people would look at this text and it would be appropriate to realize that it's being addressed to the king of Tyre. So that would be a physical king. Right? You can, you can kind of see that. But we also embrace the duality of prophetic words. That I'm sorry, but the king of Tyre was never in the Garden of Eden. So when I look at that, I'm looking at that a little bit more than just the king of Tyre. I'm looking at it as if he's speaking also to Lucifer. And he's saying, you were in the Garden of Eden. You were created perfect. You were perfected in beauty. When was the king of Tyre a guardian cherub? But we do know that Lucifer was, a, was an archangel. He was one of those high-ranking archangels. So I believe this has the dual prophetic element here. And what God is saying is, Lucifer, I created you perfect. And you were perfect all the way until the day, what does it say? Until wickedness was found in you. Everything God makes is perfect because it comes out of a perfected being. It comes out of a perfected motive. When are we going to embrace that level of relationship and trust in God? I could take you all through Genesis chapter one and every time that God creates something, he says what? He made this and he said it was it was good. And in Hebrew, of course, we know the word tov. The, it was good. And you say, well, that's not perfect. Yes, but you have to understand that when a perfect God who has perfect standards 
looks at his creation and he says, yeah, that was good. What he's doing is he's equating the creation with perfection because he himself is the perfect creator. He wasn't saying, I'm perfection. And, you know, I made, it, I made it pretty good. It is all right. I'm going to give it a C minus. It was good. I'm going to pass. It's going to pass the class. He was evaluating it based on his level of perfection and saying, yes, it meets the measurement of perfection so I can call it good. Anything less than the perfection of God cannot be called good, which is why we alone on our own merit, come on, friends, we will never be called good on our own because we are less than the perfected standard of God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We might even add a thought there, short of God's perfection, which is why we need him, which is why we need him to save us. Today in modern Hebrew, we use a word that's connected to shalom, Right? Those of you that are already native, you understand this. To the visitors today, we, there's, a, there's a word connected to shalom. It's called mushlam. And it means the, the like, completion of or the, the, the perfect completion of something. There's other, there's other ways that we use that word in its various forms. If you've, if you've parked here tonight, you're going to have to pay your parking fee and you're going to go to the amdati shalom. You can hear the same root, right, from shalom, mushlam, tishlum. And what that means is it's a, it's a stand, the amdat from the, the amud, it's a stand or a machine where you make everything right. You finish it. You complete the transaction. You make it finished and perfect. So when you wish someone Shabbat shalom, remember what the origin of that word is. It's not only peace, it carries with it the element of perfect completion. That's how we would use the word today. But in the scriptures that I've been reading you, whether it's from Samuel or Ezekiel or other places, it actually uses the Hebrew word tamim. It doesn't use mushlam or tov here. It uses tamim, which we would translate to something like perfection, completeness, innocence, perfectly sound, et cetera, et cetera. It would be somewhere in the collaboration of all of those words. We actually sing it oftentimes in a, in a, in a song we love, Yeshua El Yakar, say tamim. Right? Yeshua, my dearest Yeshua, the, the perfect Seha Elohim, this, this, this perfect Lamb of God. And I want you to carry that that when you're, say, when you're singing those songs or you're praying those prayers or you're wishing somebody shalom, I'm hoping that what triggers in your mind is, I serve a perfect God. Therefore, everything that he tells me to do, I should do without question because it's already perfect. And if I start trying to play God, the only thing I will do is mess it up. Adam found that out. Right? There was a perfect plan. Why would there not be a perfect plan? There's a perfect God who made a perfect world. Everything he created was perfect out of a perfect motive. Of course there's a perfect plan. 
You know, the angels along with Adam and Eve, they had witnessed a time of perfection. Do you remember that in the scriptures and the timeline? There was, a, there was some moments. I don't know how long the moment was, but there was some moments. There was some time, maybe days, months, years. I don't know how long. But Adam and Eve got to experience being a perfect creation inside of a perfect creation, serving a perfect God. They're the only humans that have ever felt that so far. You'll get to feel it one day. That's where we're headed. That's this perfect plan unfolding. So what is the plan? Well, here's the plan. I'm going to break it down to you. I talk about this a lot. And the reason I talk about this a lot is because I want us as a community to keep the big picture in mind and to keep the goals and the vision of our life in front of us, not to get bogged down in just the day-to-day fighting. My flesh and the spirit and the world, those are good. We should keep fighting. We should be faithful. Put on the armor. But don't forget the goal of this whole thing. God's perfect plan was to create a perfect universe and then to make perfect children, us, to put in that universe. God would then teach and train his children to learn about all that he had created. Then at some future point, he would invite those children to rule and reign over his creation. That's the plan of God. That's the hierarching plan of God. That's your destiny. That's why you were created. If you've ever wondered that question, why was I created? I just answered it for you. That's why you were created. When I was on this this circuit recently speaking at lots of places, I, I would often share a piece of a message and it would change depending on where I was, but, but the same element would come out often and I would say to the crowd, listen, you have to understand why you were created. You were not created to be saved. You were only saved because we messed up God's perfect plan. How about we spend a little bit more time learning about God's actual plan instead of spending almost exclusive time on the detour that we took off of that plan? God did not create you to be saved. He created you to rule his universe. If you keep that big picture in mind, it'll change the way you live day to day. The enemy won't seem so intimidating to you. Temptation will not feel as strong of a pull on you when you remember who you are and what's in front of you. Romans 8, 16 and 17 encourage us this way. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with the Messiah, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Why do I want to highlight that here? Because we got to notice that, number one, we're children of God, but that's not all we are. If our father is the king and we're the children, then we are heirs of his kingdom. That means we get to rule it. That means you're not trying to survive this life. You're supposed to be being trained to rule God's creation. That's what Adam was going through in the garden in the time of perfection. Adam wasn't just skippity-dippity around in the garden. 
There's a great English phrase. This would be hilarious to hear people translate this phrase to various languages. If you're watching online, I would love to hear you translate this phrase and send it in to our team. There's a phrase in English we say, it's called lollygagging. Adam was not in the garden just kind of lollygagging like he had nothing to do. What do, you, what do you think was happening? It's, the word of God says that Yeshua in the flesh would come to him in the cool of every afternoon. And he was training him, teaching him, preparing him for his destiny to go do what? Be fruitful, multiply, take dominion, rule the earth. And what do you think Adam was doing for the other part of the day? Well, he had homework. Everything you just learned in the cool of the afternoon, you need to start applying tomorrow morning. Adam was being trained in the time of perfection. So you have to say to yourself, what should I be doing? You should be being trained to rule and reign with God, which is your actual destiny. You were never created to survive. You were never created to be saved. You were created to rule. Remember who you are. And that takes us back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 28, we're right back where we started. Look at verse six and seven. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, because you think you are wise, as wise as a God, I'm going to bring foreigners against you, the most ruthless of nations. They will draw their swords against your beauty and wisdom and pierce your shining splendor. Here's our second key phrase of the night. There exists inside of Lucifer and inside all of us a sinful desire to be as wise and powerful as God to somehow think that we are God's equal. The problem is we're dealing with perfection. And the sooner we embrace that we are not perfect, but he is, we will stop fighting him. Because when we fight him, when we don't believe him, when we try to circumnavigate around his plans and try to introduce our own plans as if they're better than his, come on, God, get your act together. Do it my way. The person you're acting like is Lucifer. And I'm pointing the finger at me even more than I'm pointing the finger at any of us. When I do that, I am acting like Lucifer, who thought he was as wise and as powerful and had a better plan than God's perfect plan. So we must ask ourselves, as we begin to challenge ourselves, why can we not just allow God to be perfect? To be perfectly wise, perfectly powerful, why can we not just listen to him and follow his ways? Why is it so hard? Why do we set out on a course to compete with God and attempt to be our own God with our own wisdom, with our own might and strength, and make up our own laws and our own virtues? When did we decide to do this? Why did we decide to do this? Why is it such a challenge to let God be the perfect God that he is and just follow him? And I sat in that moment right there. That's the moment I sat in. The rest of this, these notes came pretty quickly. But right there, I stopped and I just sat. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to go a little deeper here with me. What is going on? 
And this is a thought that came to mind. It's just a thought. But it had some interesting moments with the Holy Spirit involved. And I was thinking about Lucifer and why couldn't he just let God be perfect God and just do what perfect God says? What was so hard? And it's almost as if Lucifer was so jealous of God's perfection that he sought to sabotage his own life and the lives of everyone around him by pulling them into a known area of sin, knowing where this might lead, just to prove that God's creation was not perfect. Therefore, attempting to prove that God himself was not perfect, attempting to either bring God down to his level or bring himself up to God's level. One of that was going on. It was almost like, I see everything you've made, but I'm going to mess it up and pretend that that somehow reflects on you. Because if I, one of your perfect created beings, can sin willfully, then you're not the perfect creator. Well, there's a big problem in that theology. That God is, is not the cause of sin. Even though he gives, apparently, angels and humans at some past date, he gave us all free will. It was the gift of free will that opened the opportunity for someone to manifest sin. But God is not the cause of sin. So Satan's whole program here is, 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 it's messed up because he's trying to say, if I sabotage it, then, then you're not perfect, God. The self-sabotaging demonic spirit. And some of us in the house tonight, we might, we might deal with that. That's a spirit that needs to get out of your life. God is trying to Build a kingdom with you in mind. He's trying to train you to rule and reign. He's trying to empower you with the Holy Spirit. He's trying to give you the power to do miracles and heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, speak in tongues, interpret tongues. He's trying to give it all to you. He's trying to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And yet we're over here questioning him like he doesn't know what he's doing, self-sabotaging ourselves. And when we do that, we are acting the way Lucifer acted. And that reminded me of a story in 1 Kings chapter 3. Team, you can come on up. 1 Kings chapter 3, 24 through 27. If you're in the faith a while, you know this story. King Solomon is sitting on the throne of Israel. If you're new to the faith, I'll give you a quick summary. King Solomon is a very wise, anointed king. He didn't, didn't live the greatest life in its totality, but there were portions of his life where he was walking with God and he had great supernatural wisdom. And in this one story, there were two women that apparently lived in the same compound together and they had babies at the same time because we used to live in bigger family groups. And during the middle of the night, lady number one accidentally rolled over on her baby and killed her baby. But she didn't know because she was asleep. And woman two, who also had a baby, her baby was sitting there right next to her, still alive. Well, in the middle of the night, in the darkness and in quiet, lady number one, who had accidentally killed her baby, went and swapped the babies. She gave the dead baby to lady two and kept the alive baby for herself. And the next morning, the mother tried to nurse the baby, but it was, it was dead. And then she realized that that's not my baby. 
So she confronted this other woman and said, that's my baby, you stole my child. And of course, she wouldn't give it up. She wouldn't admit to it. So they went to King Solomon and said, what should we do? And King Solomon said, this is real easy. Bring me the baby. So they brought the baby to King Solomon. Listen to what he says to do. 1 Kings 3.24, then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. Then he gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. The woman whose son it was that was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill it. But the other lady said, neither I nor you shall have him. Go ahead and cut him in two. Then the king gave this ruling. He stood up and he said, give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him because she is the mother. The other lady that, whose baby had died, she, she was sabotaging the whole situation. She was willing to kill it just to not let the other lady have it. And this is what Lucifer is trying to do with God and to us. Sabotage your life so that you cannot let God have his perfection. The problem is, that's not how it works. That God doesn't cause those things. Remember, it was an important point I made. God creates everything perfectly. And we were perfect until the day sin entered us. So we'll close with this challenge. What would it take for us to step forward into God's perfection? What would it take for us to trust him with everything in our life? Is it hard to trust God with big decisions? Is it hard to trust God with the direction of your life? Can you trust God with your actions? Only do the things he says to do. Don't do the things he says don't do. Can you trust God with his judgments? Will he make everything just at some point? You see, if you don't trust God's justice, then you'll try to take justice into your own hands. The problem is now you are an imperfect judge trying to judge. And that's a job better suited for the perfect judge. Do we trust God that when he told us how to treat others, that that was the right way? Do we trust God's word that it is perfect, it is flawless, it is powerful, and if we will do a simple process, we would be blessed. Open it, read it, do it. Don't try to reinterpret it. Don't try to make it fancy. The, the funny part about trying to make the word of God complicated is that God himself was trying to do the opposite. Several times it talks about God trying to make his word simple. Let's not complicate this. So perfection is where we're headed. Let's begin to prepare for it now. Let me give you our last verse of the night, and then I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read the first seven verses. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. This is where you're headed, so listen carefully. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. If you don't understand where this whole story ends, that's where it ends. You living in a perfected place, in a perfected body, with a perfect God who is giving you the inheritance. You were created to rule and reign over his creation. So our challenge is, why do we fight him? What in us wants to fight him instead of just open it, read it, do it? And in my life, I know that I've been able to take a few steps forward so far from perfect, it's embarrassing. But at least a few steps forward in obedience and blessing because in the moments that I don't really want to do it, I don't want to do what God said, I remind myself, but he's perfect. Why would I try to change a perfect word coming from a perfect heart? Let's pray today. Let's, let's impart this to you. Prayer team, come on forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the goodness of your word. We corporately and individually proclaim today that we are fallen. We do not meet the standard. We fall short of your glory. And because of that, Lord, we are deciding today to trust you more. We trust who you are, not just the things you do, but who you are as a perfect God who has a perfect plan. We thank you that you're patient with us to bring us into that plan. It hurts your heart when we kick and scream when you're trying to give us the keys of the universe. And for that, we collectively repent. Forgive us for doubt and unbelief, for lack of trust and lack of obedience. But maybe today, there'll be a new level of trust that we can grab onto that says, but remember your heavenly Father is perfect. He would never lead you down a path that wasn't for your own blessing and your own good. Let the word permeate our spirit that as we go into the festival days we're going to remember how perfect you are especially next week as we look at your perfect timing
we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Come get prayer if you need prayer. We're going to have a few moments of worship to let that sink in.